Sidekick and Jets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Steve Siva. Steve, you're drinking better alcohol than I am tonight. I am. I have a, I have a screwdriver tonight. The screwdriver with what vodka, though? Uh, Grey Goose. Yeah, living the, la- the large life. Grey Goose and Tropicana. Grey Goose and Tropicana. <laughs> um, I'm joining you in vodka. I'm not a big vodka drinker. I'm drinking a Moscow Mule, but only with Tito's. Mm. And I don't have a copper mug. I don't particularly like that aff- affectation. I also didn't bother to crush my ice. You savage. I didn't have time. Yeah, it's just it's all around a pot over here. So this is our corner infield preview on episode 175 of Amazing Avenue Audio. Before we get to that, in honor of, well, real fake baseball, people are playing baseball games. They don't count, but they're playing baseball games. There's some stories. It's March. Most of these don't matter. But it's just exciting to be able to talk about things that are happening on a baseball field, even if it's tradition field in Port St. Lucie. So we'll start at the beginning, the Mets' first spring training game late last week. Rafael Montero pitched 40 pitches in the first inning, Steve. At least he was able to throw 40 pitches. Look at it like that. It's true. I mean, he was barely pitching at all in the Dominican Winter League. I think he made a couple one- and two-inning appearances. But would this have happened with any other pitcher in the Mets' organization in the first spring training game? Uh, absolutely not. No, this is a statement by Terry Collins that uh, Rafael Montero's going to have to wear it a couple times. Toughen the kid up. Don't know if that's good, bad, indifferent. I don't know what his velocity was because it was a road game. So I don't know how far he is back. But yeah, so for those of you out there on Mets Twitter agitating for Wally Backman, Terry Collins can do that crap too. <laughs> <laughs> Also in that game, we got the first Gabriel Yanoa appearance of spring training, which is always an important day for me. He pitched again today in the road split squad game against the Cardinals and pitched pretty well. So he's pitched five and a third innings, only given up one run, struck out a few guys, certainly more. I actually went back and did the math because that's how obsessive I am. Um, He struck out four of the 22 batters he's faced in spring training, which is a much higher K percentage than his double A season last year, which is very meaningful, I'm sure. Uh, 22 batter sample sizes of mean a lot. Yeah. But I mean, the thing with him always is when he's going good, he's getting ahead of guys and then getting ground balls or swing and mi- swings and misses with the changeup. And he at least did that against Bryce Harper in his first appearance. I saw someone posted a vine on Twitter of uh, the crowd reaction after he struck out Bryce Harper with the changeup. I mean, there were gasps. You should gasp every time you know it's on the mound. I would prefer to have seen your reaction. <laughs> I was at work, as I was today. Actually, the first thing I'm going to do after I finish recording this and get it uploaded is rewatch uh, today's game so I can see how Gabriel Yanoa looks and what he was getting his swings and misses with, because that's very important to me. I may tweet about it. But in the interest of equal time, Steve, we'll let you talk a little bit about Akil Morris, because he's looked pretty good this spring, too. He did. And I mean, you know how I like my uh, Caribbean middle relievers. He looked good. Uh so did Jim Henderson and Stony Pimentel. So I don't, know, I don't, I don't know really if there's even room for Morris on in the bullpen this year, but we'll see. I do have to say the changeup. I saw the Sunday game when he pitched, and I've always been a little bit lower on the changeup 
than I think other people, but it does look like it's tightened up. It looks like a legitimately good pitch now. I mean, he's still a fastball changeup guy. I think he's Gonzalez Herman is a best case scenario, but that's still a major league arm. Yeah. So good for him. Which takes us to our king of spring training update. <laughs> the Mets have played six spring training games. Steve, who you got so far? Uh, so far, I think it's undoubtedly Dilson Herrera. Even after the offer today. That's all right. You hit inside the park home run. I'm going with Travis Tyrone. Mm. I feel like he's a better kind of candidate for this award in general. You know, like the fringy outfielder type that's not going to make the roster, but will hang around camp for a bit because they have no outfielders, as we found out. They had to play a split squad game and Wilmer Becerra was starting in one of them because Granderson and Nemo are still hurt and Roger Bernadine is having visa issues, I believe. Yes. So we may see some more Wilmer Becerra in split squad action or otherwise, but that's good news for Travis Tyrone, who will probably be hanging around a bit. Yeah, for qualifying King of Spring Training as, you know, the the very last guy to get that bench, you know, 25th spot on the roster, then Herrera does not qualify. It doesn't have to be. It just seems like the type of guy that tends to perform well in these scenarios. Yeah. Like the big mashing corner guy, like John Mayberry Jr. last year. That worked out well. Yeah. I think Eric Campbell's won it in the past, too. I suppose it can't be a pitcher, otherwise I might pick Jim Henderson, but he has a legitimate chance to make this team, so. It's a very good under-the-radar signing. There's some off-field nonsense, too, Steve. Jacob DeGrom had his contract renewed. He didn't sign his contract. What does it mean? Doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean? I will say that 600000 is not bad for a year-two pre-arb guy. It's more than the Pirates paid Garrett Cole, for example. Um, and his agent, the awesomely named Brody Von Wagenen, made it pretty clear. <laughs> made it pretty clear that this was like a general protest thing, and they don't hold anything against the Mets. It's the system, man. It's the system. And you know, right after this broke, Degrom went to Mark Carrig and said it won't affect extension negotiations it's very clearly that they're negotiating through the press which is fine and that he wants to stay and sign an extension which is good you know he's the kind of guy that needs to cash in because of his profile he's going to hit free agency at 33 he was not a big bonus guy as a ninth round college pick you know maybe he got 100 grand which is like over oh, 100,000 a lot but after taxes and agent fees and five years in the minors making you know, a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks a month. That's not a. Uh, they make more than that, I guess. Not so, a lot more. Not a lot more now. But you know, it's that you can't stretch that bonus all that far. You know, we've had we've taken emails on this before. It's going to look like the Corey Kluber deal. We'll see if they go year to year. I'd get to see them get a deal done, but this is this this is a thing that happens. He has to look after himself, so I'm not going to begrudge him. And obviously the money, you know, all the money is concentrated in the MLB and the owners. So the more players themselves can extricate from those people, the better. I support them. As a, you know. It gets weirder, Steve. Henry Mejia is now claiming a Major League Baseball-wide conspiracy against him to get him banned for life for positive drug tests. For the sake of interesting stories, I hope that there is a major conspiracy against him. I want that... I want to write this book. Let me tell you. Yeah, 
this is the book I want to write. I don't think anybody will give me an advance. And I don't think anyone will talk to me about it on the record. But I'm just saying, if I was Tony Clark and engaged in a part of a large, far-reaching conspiracy against Henry Mejia, I would pretend that none of my people had ever talked to, talked to Henry Mejia before. That is exactly what I would do. If I were a parallax view antagonist. <laughs> uh, his hair is growing to grow back in, though. It looks good. The entire story is just so strange. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a baseball-wide conspiracy because that really is the only way for this to make sense in my mind, given how absolutely stupid and retarded and everything else this this whole story has been. And to be fair, it's not like base, Major League Baseball hasn't been incredibly shady when investigating drug tests in the past. See Alex Rodriguez. Back onto the field for some Dom Smith madness, Steve. You know how much we like talking about Dom Smith on this pat- podcast, your host specifically. You love Dom Smith, I know. I love the I'll story. Let, I'll let you this take is this. exactly the story I want to be talking about on the podcast on March 7th. Dom Smith did not run out a long fly ball off the wall at St. Lucie this past weekend. Got held to a single. To be fair, he's not that fast in general. So he, whether he was hustling or not, he still might not have gotten to second. <laughs> but, you know, he handled it fine in the press. It's a non-story, yada, yada, yada. It just uh, gave the pro-Dom Smith faction in our prospect community the chance to sort of harp on their pro-Dom Smith prospectness, which is fine. I can't get upset about that. We plan a time to talk Dom Smith this year. I'm seeing him a lot in April. But this is one of those uh, James K. forgotten first half stories. Really, all yeah. of these are. Certainly the the ground contract. Certainly the Mejia thing. And uh, Dom Smith not hustling out of the box in a meaningless March game. We'll end on a sad note. It was announced this morning. Luis Carpio is undergoing shoulder surgery and will miss a chunk of this season. We don't know how much yet. We don't have much details beyond the initial MetsMiners.net report that he has had shoulder surgery in the, I would assume, the recent past. And will in all like, honest, honest throwing shoulder to be specific and won't be ready to opening day. I think it's important to cite MetsMiners.net here. It's always important to cite someone when they have the only public report on something like this. Mm. Yep. But I, I wrote a little bit about this on the site when the news post uh, <clears throat> about it went up. I don't necessarily see it as a huge deal with the information we have now, even if it's a fully lost season. The kid's only 18. You know, it's unfortunate from a national coming out party standpoint. I think he could have been a top 100 prospect next year with a good showing in Columbia this season. In all likelihood, if he does get back on the field this season, it'll be an extended and then rehab in the complex. Maybe he'll get a taste of Brooklyn towards the end of the year, depending on the timetable. Which is unfortunate, but not a, I think, a, a major blow to his long-term projection. It may force him to the other side of second base, may force him to the right side of the diamond, but I kind of thought he would be best served there anyway. This might just accelerate the process. But yeah, it's the only thing, really, that would, that makes me a little sad about this is that, you know, if it weakens his throwing strength, then he's 
not uh, toast, but uh, he's less of exciting. Yeah, I mean, his arms only average, solid average uh, on the infield now. So any loss in arm strength in the long term could be detrimental to his future as a shortstop. You know, I don't want to end on that note. That's that's a sad note. We got to bring the universe into balance. Josh Satin signed a minor league deal with the San Diego Padres this morning, Steve. That's good. That's very good. It is good. He's back in baseball. And really, Will Myers can't stay healthy, so he might be uh, he might get a shot at actual major league playing time this year. He's got to beat out Brett Wallace. Not the hardest thing to do. <laughs> and the Padres' depth chart only lists one third baseman, if you want to be really optimistic about Josh Satin, which I tend to want to do. It's <laughs> Yangervis Solarte. The only one. He had a decent year last year. He did. I'm saying just could be one injury away from his from time in San Diego. You know, he's a Cali guy, too. It's good. He's Hidden Hills. He's from that area. So, I mean, granted, they play a AAA games in El Paso, which is not in that area. But <laughs> if he were to get up to the majors, it's close to his family. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, we're sending all of our love to Josh Satin. As we do every week. That's just, I think, understood. Of course. Can we yeah. say it out loud or not? Now into the meat of the agenda for episode 175. It's our corner infield preview. And we'll start with the captain, David Wright. We had to have Steve on this show and not Greg, so we have Greg on here talking about David Wright. We need a special explicit tag. You can't just get from the normal iTunes one. Because <laughs> they can get a little blue when Greg's working uh, the David Wright topic. Should I start cursing then? <laughs> Well, I don't know where to start here. Like, normally we talk about our impressions on how the player might do in, in 2016. I mean, I can give you his 50th percentile Pakoda projection. It's 264, 341, 416, and 110-ish games based on the, the playing time. I would think there's a little bit more batting average there if he's even remotely healthy. But how do you project him? It seems like it's <laughs> he hasn't played in the spring training game yet. I imagine his training is like for the, the last Rocky Balboa movie where like he can't do any workouts. They just have him like play for power. He's just like swinging a heavy bat. I don't know what they do. It's a good question. This is uncharted waters. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sad note. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really know. don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's what he, it's, he, when he came back at the end of last year, he hit pretty well. He's healthy-ish. I mean, everything's on the table. He might not play a game this year. Well, don't say that. I mean, it's on the table. I'll, I'll tap into some of Greg. Fuck that shit. <laughs> well, if he's not playing third, who would you use as his primary backup? I mean, I guess it has to be Wilner. I think so. He's got the most. I mean, he doesn't have as much third base experience as you think. He played it in the majors a, a fair amount his his first two sort of shortened seasons. His little cups of coffee, but in the minors, you know, outside of the one season they moved him off short, he hasn't played third base in the minors much since. So you only have his major league time. He didn't play third base at all last year. I mean, he played there a game or two. I don't have the uh, playing time distribution in front of me. But he's probably a better option than Neil Walker. He's probably a better option than Ruben Tejada. 
and uh, Azubel Cabrera. So he will be the guy that gets tapped. Even if it's, you know, over Terry Collins' protestations about <laughs> Eric Campbell. <laughs> Oy. So on, I guess, at what point do we have a conversation about what the long-term right thing is? He's still owed five years and $87 million, which I guess in this market isn't a disaster of a contract. Assuming he's on the field at all. I, you know, I wonder, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but if at some point he follows the Kadir path, seeing what Kadir did since they're very close friends. Maybe you just move him to first base after Lucas Duda leaves in free agency or elsewhere. I mean, that, that, that still might be detrimental to the team based on his performance. But again, we're, we're looking into the future, which is problematic to begin with. And then you have to add the asterisk of his injury. So who knows? Yeah, there's been talk about moving to the left field or second base. But those are positions that seem fairly well covered internally for the coming seasons. I mean, I'm the kind of person that's stubborn and sentimental, so I would just keep trotting right out there at third as long as he's <laughs> alive. <laughs> you know, this is New York Mets. David Wright is at third baseman. The end. I mean, that's. Uh, I think that's a valid viewpoint. Um, you know, there may come a time, coming years, where this team isn't as good for whatever reason, and that's a. Uh, you can lean more heavily on sentimentality. And, you know, realistically, David Wright is not going to ever play 162 games in a season ever again. So, it, you know, as long as he's somewhat productive, and I think that he can be for at least the, you know, the near long term, be productive. If he's playing, you know, if he's giving you 70, 80 games, you know, with Wilma Flores, Eric Campbell, whoever, you know, picking up the rest of those those games, you know, I, I'm fine with not Eric him. Campbell. Well, just not Eric Campbell, but <laughs> I'm I'm fine with you know with Wright playing the down arc of his career, staying at third, you know, as as long as it's going to be. He'll always be able to hit a soft tossing lefty. I think even long after he's in a back brace. Yeah, I mean. David Wright is, you know, again, assuming that he's able to be halfway productive. A halfway productive David Wright is still better than, you know, 50% of the league. So, Move across the diamond to first base and the ever-streaking, ever-hated Lucas Duda. (laughs) Can I say there's been no story this spring I've cared less about than whether or not Mets fans hate Lucas Duda? Yeah, it's... uh... A fourth story if there is one. As far as the streakiness goes, you know, I don't know if people look at his month by month OPS or what, all of that's arbitrary endpoints. You know, his April to May OPS isn't any more meaningful than his April fifteen to May fifteen versus, you know, May sixteen to June fifteen OPS. You know, as Eno Saris once very famous famously wrote at Fangraph, seasons are arbitrary endpoints. We know what we get at the end of the year, and the last two seasons have been very good. However, this year, Pakoda doesn't actually like Duda that much, and I kind of wonder why. They have him projected to hit 236, 334, 431. 
I don't know if it's an aging curve thing. He's going to be on the wrong side of the 30. He does have old player skills, but he's never been like a huge strikeout guy for his power. He strikes out about 25% of the time and has a good walk rate. And look, I don't expect him to age incredibly well. I expect him to age like Curtis Granderson, say, but I think he can be a productive major leaguer for the next two seasons. He's sort of a classic role 55 type player where he can, he can kind of start for you on a good team, but maybe you're always looking to upgrade that spot. But the backup right now is Eric Campbell, and they're not signing anybody <laughs> else. So it's Lucas Duda, man, and that's okay. I mean, he's been pretty consistent the last two years. OPS plus of 137, 132. So even if it continues trending downward slightly, I'll take a first baseman with, you know, OPS of, you know, the high 120s. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the, like, I guess I kind of understood the, the Duda dislike when he wasn't good, but he's been good the last two years. I don't know. People see a batting average of about 250 and that's all they see, I guess. I don't know. He still hits for power though. The the batting average crew usually likes home run and RBIs. And granted, he didn't have a ton of RBIs, but nobody on the Mets had a ton of RBIs. He had more than most of them. Listen, if he can't hit 100 in RBIs, he's useless, all right? Yeah. That's about it. There's no real corner out infield depth here. We can't even talk about people on the farm. Your starting corner infielders at Vegas will probably be Danny Mono and Mark Krause. What about Zach Lutz? Didn't we resign Zach Lutz? Zach Lutz is in the Marlins system. Oh, I, I thought he... I don't know. Did we play? Did we play the Marlins a couple of days ago? Yes, then? he was on the field right. for that game. That's that's why I'm remembering Zach Lutz. I don't know who the third baseman will be in Double A. Who's the third baseman in St. Lucie last year? I see Jeff McNeil. Maybe they'll play him there. Yeah, Mizzoli at second, Rosario at short, Don Smith at first. Sounds roughly right. I dig it. Yeah, that's slightly more exciting. Not that much, but slightly more exciting. That's about it for corner infielders. Maybe David Wright will stay healthy, and maybe the seven line will stop hating Lucas Duda. Or so I've been told. I only get, like, bits and pieces of it on Twitter, so I can't actually tell what the sides are in these things. No, I think that seven line loves Duda, or didn't like him at some point, but now likes him, and was trashing whoever the beat reporter was. Ken Davidoff. Yeah, I don't know. It's very difficult for me to... Uh, I don't follow these things either, so I don't know. I curate my feed very well, so I don't have to anything more than sort of an oblique idea of what's going on. I know what's going on now, and we're heading to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is episode 175 of Amazing Avenue Audio. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Met site, Amazing Avenue. Find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Amazing Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Amazing Avenue. Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. 
I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Steve Sippa. You can follow him on Twitter at Steve Sippa. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at MasonAvenueAudio.com. Only one email this week. It's a light week. That's okay. It's from one of our many Michaels. Hi, guys. Has anyone ever told you that you give great pod? I guess we'll have to get the special explicit tag after all. (laughs) The issues of platooning at second and in the outfield boil down to short-term benefit, i.e. get the best production in today's game, versus possible long-term benefits, i.e. starting players developing into more well-rounded offensive threats. That seems like it should be less of an issue at second base because Neil Walker is almost certainly a one-year rental, and of course as a veteran is less likely to suddenly learn how to hit lefties significantly better. Michael Conforto, on the other hand, is a young player who we all hope is our future number three hitter. Okay, Keith. He needs experience (laughs) facing major league lefties. Why do I worry that Terry may be more concerned about hurting the veterans' feelings than the rookies? Well, there's a very good reason for that, Michael. All available evidence suggests that is what is going to happen. Terry's going to Terry. I would think that barring injuries, Wilma will start at third at least once a week. I'm sure David will want to face every lefty starter and rest against righties. My plan is for Wilmer to start against every lefty as well, alternating between first and second. That way, Duda and Walker get to start against some lefties, and the team gets to maximize Wilmer's platoon splits. Hopefully, this will also keep Walker from being labeled a platoon player. So we want to be able to make him a qualifying offer he will reject. Just as an aside, will this system still be in effect for the upcoming offseason? Uh, yes. The CBA expires, I think, after the qualifying offers have to be made. Yeah, I think it... it qualifying offers end in like middle of December or something like that and then the new CBA is in the January. middle of January yeah. Yeah. I do the same thing in the outfield with Ligaris alternating playing for Conforto and Granderson against lefties if Cespedes continues to show the reverse platoon split he had last year he probably won't I let Ligaris start for him against the occasional lefty as well after all Cespedes should get th- some of the rest during the season we want him fresh for October I have to say the tenor of the emails we've gotten in the podcast have changed <laughs> rapidly over the last six months <laughs> i do kind of have to say i miss the days of woe or us that were plan- a little amusing that plan should provide wilmer and Ligars with adequate playing time let's hope diazza struggles to get his own as that will mean everyone else is healthy and productive we didn't mention Alejandro diazza's king of spring training he's got to be in that conversation now too he's swatting everything although he the little bits and pieces i've seen he still is incredibly frightening in center field well as expected what do you guys think i think i'm tired of talking about platooning so i think you had all the major points michael there is value in starting every day getting your reps seeing lefties and righties and there's always gonna be sample size issues with these guys you know john mayberry jr looked great against lefties for the first 700 plate appearances he had against lefties in his career but when you're only getting you know 100 to 150 plate appearance sample sizes in an individual season against well the short side platoon in this uh instant there's wide variance you know john mayberry jr could very easily go back to being the hitter against lefties he's been before it's uh, you know i harp on this podcast it's impossible to project the next 60 innings of any pitcher let alone a reliever it's impossible to project the next 150 plate appearances of any major league batter platoon advantage or not now the main issue you come in with trying to platoon at multiple positions 
is you can't carry enough players on your 25-man roster to really do that. Because every player, I shouldn't say every player, most players have a platoon split. And we had an old email way back, Halcyon Days of the Pod, about how you would leverage a, a baseball roster if you could have 60 players like a football roster. And you platoon literally at every position then. You know, David Wright would only play against lefties because you can find a guy that hits righties better than right, probably. If you can carry 60 guys. Well, maybe not, because if every team can do that, you're going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel pretty quickly. But hypothetically. But the Mets are actually in a position where if they wanted to aggressively platoon, they could because they have a pretty deep 25-man roster right now. Now, I've talked about it before on the show. If you really want to leverage this, Every time there's lefty on the mound, you can start Flores at second and Darno at first and put Ploiecki behind the plate. Because both Darno and Flores have pretty large platoon splits. And you would imagine Ploiecki would hit lefties better than righties, if maybe not to the extent of the other two. And he's a pretty good defensive catcher, at least as far as framing stuff goes. He seems to handle the staff well, much like Darno. So you're not giving back that much there compared to what you're gaining at first and second. Likewise, you start Lagares every time against lefties. He's very good against lefties as a center fielder. And that allows you to place a Spedis in a corner. You can pick the corner. It's going to be left. <laughs> you can't actually pick the corner. <laughs> um, so I would put Conforto to the bench. And yeah, it's not good for his development. Um, I think he'll be playable against lefties. He won't be as good as lefty against lefties as Juan Lagares is once you factor in that Juan Lagares can play center. So if you're literally trying to maximize every run you can get, every win you can get, that's what you do. But I think there is a middle ground here. I think player development still has to be on the table even while you're trying to win a division. Other teams are able to do it. You know, the Cubs played Kyle Schwarber at catcher sometimes last year. (laughs) Much to the benefit of my fantasy team. Yeah, you can do both. Um, Now... Terry will be chasing the platoon advantage and probably not always with the guys we want him to be chasing them with because that's Terry. (laughs) We know what we're getting into here. There are no surprises left. Basically everything you've said, I just kind of zoned out because Eric Campbell is getting 400 plate appearances. (laughs) (laughs) I've said it before on the show. I know I've said it. I keep going back to try to find the episode in which I said it. I haven't been able to do that yet. I think I wanted to use it for an open towards the end of last season when the Mets were headed to the playoffs. But it was it was after it was either a discussion about whether the team should extend Terry Collins or it was after an actual Terry Collins extension. I have no real problem with Terry Collins on balance as a manager. I don't. Yeah, but soon, he is what he is. He's not appreciably better or worse than most I, other major league managers. Exactly. You know, there's a mushball middle of 20 dudes that are probably rather indistinguishable from each other tactically and with the press and with the players on balance, at least. There's probably some good ones and there's probably some bad ones. I don't think Terry Collins really fits in either of those categories. I think he's a reasonable fit now for the team they have on the field. But as I said on that show that I can't find, sooner or later... You're going to have to watch Terry Collins manage in meaningful games late in the season. You know, manage a playoff team. (laughs) And 
it's going to be painful. Antonio Bastardo is probably facing a righty in a big spot this year. <laughs> Whether he should or not. Or he'll bring in Jerry Blevins without knowing that the opposing manager is obviously going to pinch hit for whatever lefty was up at the plate. He's going to leave Jacob deGrom into the eighth on 110 pitches when he's down to 92 to 94 and the command starting to go. We've seen this all before. We know how the story goes. Yeah. (laughs) But it'll be okay because the Mets, they're going to be pretty good. They can do a variety of things this year. That may not be the perfect sabermetric decision. And they'll still be pretty good. Hey, like Mike said in his email, we're getting to the World Series. That's all that matters. He said October. Well, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't gild it too much. All right. Well, we're getting to October. Well, I think they probably the first season games in October. I was going to say. Yeah, true. <laughs> Never mind. That was your email. As always, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. There is an IFK Gothenburg update. They managed to salvage a win against BK Helmstad. Scored three goals. They won three to one, I think. Uh, Gustav Engel, Soren Reeks, Jacob Heisen. However, that still leaves them second in their Svenska Cup and group behind BK Halmstead. So we will see you in the summer when the Allsvenskan Liga kicks off. Yay. I will keep you updated of any other pressing IFK Gothenburg news in the interim, of course. Uh, do I have anything to plug? I do. I'm still doing the Effectively Wild previews over at baseball prospectus for the nl teams at least we had uh i talked to mike farron from the diamondbacks radio network we talked about arizona last week later this week i am talking about the cardinals with howard Magdal and the pirates with pat lackey of where have you gone andy van slyke those will go up at the end of the week i've also gotten roped into occasionally appearing on a west wing podcast with a bunch of <laughs> baseball writers some of whom you may know how did that happen that's a very good question steve uh, it's called The Crackpots and These Women, after an episode of The West Wing, that we actually discussed my first appearance, which was this uh, yesterday, just went up this afternoon. So you can check that out on Sound- SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, the usual places. And that is about it. This was a short one, because there's only two corner infielders, and I don't know what to do with either of them. <laughs> do the plays and write does whatever he wants to do. Do you want to talk about Roadblock? Yeah, might as well. Yeah, so for the people that always complain we talk about pro wrestling, we left it for the end of the show, so you can just uh, turn down the volume on your iPhone, or hit stop on your iPhone, and we'll see you next week for starting pitching chat with Lucas Vlahos. For those of you that care about when we riff about wrestling, they're having a random WWE Network quote-unquote pay-per-view on Saturday and I'm not entirely sure why because at a, because Kevin Dunn had a good name and that's it the story I heard is they kind of want Triple H to have a match before Wrestlemania I guess we've totally done away with the rule where the champion has to defend his belt within every 30 days haven't we yes like where's Commissioner Tunney when we need him <laughs> to enforce this I died, I guess, last year with Lesnar. 
I'm vaguely intrigued. They're doing an NXT tag team title match. I'm kind of torn at that. I, mean, I like Enzo and Big Cass. I would like them to win the championship and everything. But Seems I like also a weird like... spot to put them over, though. Yeah, and I also I, I do enjoy the, the ring work of... Uh, I forget what they're calling them now. I think the Revival? Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, they're not good with names. Dash, Dash, and Dawson. Yeah. They're kind of a throwback tag team. I like that. Yeah, there's yeah. A little, they're like a little brain busters thing kind of going on, I always think of them as. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't want them to lose, but I don't want Big Cass and Enzo to lose either, so. They do seem like they're kind of bulletproof at this point because they're just so over. Yeah. And yeah. also, supposedly, they're going to be promoted to the main roster soon, so I don't really see the utility in them winning either. If yeah, that's, that's true. true. If they're one of the post-WrestleMania promotions. It sounds like Sami Zayn's going to be one of those too, and he's going to be on this card in some capacity. I've heard rumors they might use it to set up a, a Zayn versus Owens Intercontinental title match at WrestleMania. Well, let's hope. I don't think it's really tough. He's got to wrestle Nakamura the night before and then uh, <laughs> go to WrestleMania. Well, if anyone in the roster can do it, it's him. So The Lesnar-Wyatt match is interesting to me. Just see if Lesnar can get a good match out of him. Pick up big man, throw big man, and you'll get lots of wows and oohs. So it's really that's that's really a low bar, I guess. <laughs> no, they're not showing any actual other announced matches for this. I mean, it's really just a Toronto house show. That's what it was supposed to be. Yes, I think it's just those three. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be other stuff that I may or may not care about. So there's no way this is just set up for Ambrose to job, right? I mean, it's got to be. I mean. Triple H, you know, totally seems like the guy to give up the championship and the main event to WrestleMania. At a know? Toronto house show. <laughs> exactly. Ah, well. Yeah. So are you looking for, like, I, I, I'm going to watch WrestleMania because I'd pay my $10 a month, but I'm not, I don't know, I'm not excited. I mean, like, pretty Les- much. Lesnar Ambrose could be really good, but. They just kind of seem to be in a holding pattern with both those guys right now. Basically, I order Buffalo chicken pizza like twice a year during (laughs) WrestleMania and like the Royal Rumble. So I'm looking forward to the Buffalo chicken pizza, basically. (laughs) That seems like a reasonable reasonable stance to me, at least. Yeah, I mean, what I am looking forward to is the Super J-Cup. Have they announced the actual wrestlers in it yet? No, but they've they've announced that it's coming back, and that's pretty cool. So I'm curious who the Dragon Gate guy they're going to uh, go with is. They usually like to go young. I could see it being Flamita. He seems to have a lot of helium around him, but he, I think he's uh, associated with AAA too, so that's probably not going to fly since uh, CMLL is has a person on it. Japan does wrestling a lot better than the U.S. in so many different ways, and that's one of them. Is the I still have my um, Super J Cup '94 tape that I got from <laughs> High Spots at some somewhere in my parents' basement. I think. Well, WWF is WWE is taking you know um, a step forward in that regard, and they are recognizing other wrestling promotions bit by bit. And and they're doing their uh, cruiserweight tournament they're thing cruiserweight over the tournament. summer, yeah. And and obviously, you know, they have to recognize other promotions. At least, at least 
the they, very least anyway naming them on air and yeah, they referred and, to styles as an iwgp champion didn't they they have yes yeah. they're comfortable somewhat with you know new japan because of uh, they have Finn a big, Balor yeah, they have a big working relationship with them yeah same thing with ring of honor they've used i think ring of honor clips in you know daniel bryan cm punk they could definitely you know, use evolve now videos. since they're uh <laughs> have whatever they're doing with wwl and gabe sapolsky's thing that was always the funniest thing to me that of all the people like everybody that's gone into nxt has had to change their name except for samoa joe and johnny gargano <laughs> it's it's they keep that up i mean that's good you know yeah we're probably getting too esoteric now. We've even lost the people that may have stuck around to hear us complain <laughs> about Triple H. All right. So instead, we will just wrap things up for this edition, and we'll see you next week. It will be, as I said before, starting pitching preview with Lucas Vlahos. Very exciting. So we'll have that and more next week on another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio. 